Coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gahn-Mueller. Hello, I'm Barbara Gahn-Mueller and you are in for a treat today. And I want you to know that because climate and peace are so interrelated, the sponsor for this program is Climate Restoration, the beautiful book by Peter Fikowski, the only future that will sustain the human race, climate restoration. If you look at the book, you will find out that fertilization of some of the kelp and the seaweed in the ocean may just be a solution. And I wish you would buy the book on Amazon. It's again, Climate Restoration. Thank you, Peter, for being a sponsor. Because as I said in the beginning, climate and peace are so interrelated. Think about the climate today and how we suffer when it's too hot, or we suffer when we're flooded, or we suffer in a fire. All of that takes away our peace. So we need to work on a world that works for all. I'm Barbara Gahn-Mueller. I'll be your host for the next 20 minutes. And what a team we have today. You know, I was thinking about them for so long because um, I've watched their trailer. The name of their movie is 1.5 Degrees of Peace. And I'd like to introduce Marla, and I'd like to introduce her daughter, Kasha. And so with that, you know, it's like, what is it about a mother-daughter team that brings that energy? So I'm going to start with Marla. Marla, let me ask you a question first. Welcome, Marla. Thank you for being here. It's a lovely treat to be here. Thank you. Thank you, too. You know, Peace Podcast is for peace, sustainability, climate restoration, and happiness. So talk about your life's journey. How did your life's journey bring you to peace? Oh, well, it was start off smoothly. It was a bit of a bumpy road as an adult, but... I remember in the 60s, because I'm a child of the 60s, I grew up sitting beside my mother while she was folding laundry or watching TV, and we were watching the civil rights movement unfold with the news on television. And I just remember being riveted by what was happening, obviously too young to understand, but there was like a seed planted. And then later when I was in, in school, at school age, about eight to 10 years old, I learned more about Martin Luther King and he became one of my idols. And so the the seeds had started to take root and I became an early activist. I was interested in environmentalism in the 90s and I became a publisher of an environmental magazine in, in Canada. And then I became a mother and then that deep rooted my activism because I wanted the world to be a better place for my child. So then I, you know, I got involved in a lot of organizations around peace and community and, you know, the tale goes on and on. And it was, a, you know, it was a lifelong journey. It's just part of my DNA. Well, you sure were lucky that your mother was watching the civil rights movement because that is an early impression. And we're so impressionable at that age. Like when my grandfather said it when I was three, you're going to be a peacemaker someday. Okay, grandpa, I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to do it. And because, you know, you form those impressions and those impressions drive us, don't they? All right, Kasha, I just can't believe that you're the daughter of that beautiful mom. And mom, you have such a beautiful daughter. Kasha, tell me about your journey, 
your journey into filmmaking, or no, let's not do filmmaking. How brought brought you to peace? Let's just go from the basics. Um, I would say that I share a lot of my origins, you know, with my mom um, in terms of my activism, continuing on with that kind of intergenerational thread. Um, I grew up with my mom as a single mom and um, she being an activist and being somebody who was passionate about justice thought that, you know, bringing me to into these spaces where she is in community with such amazing women who are so wise and so passionate also about justice would be good for me. And also we didn't have a babysitter at the time. Um, so I just, I always say that I absorbed all that information like a sponge and um, my mom always instilled the values of community and justice and, and care for our planet. Um, and so I think it was always natural that I was going to do something related to that with my life um, because it's just, it's, it's my nature, thanks to my mom. Thanks to your mom. And you know, it brings back memories. I always took my daughter with me every place I went. If I was teaching, she sat in the back. If I was um, working on um, a program, she was right there folding up the papers that I was going to pass out. I think there's something about that companionship with your parent that does influence you. Now, you two have come together under a new umbrella, not necessarily mother-daughter, but under a film umbrella, a film umbrella. Tell us about the journey into filmmaking that mother-daughter team enhances. I don't mind starting. Speaking. <laughs> um, so I kind of developed a passion for photography. I'm a very visual person. I've always been very creative. Um, and it was just a, a hobby at first, um, but naturally me being so justice oriented and caring about the world around me, um, I started to infuse my creativity with my activism and soon they became pretty enmeshed with one another. Um, I went to a UN conference called the Commission on the Status of Women uh, with my mom because we were part of a peace organization called the Canadian Voice of Women for Peace. Um, and that was my kind of first exposure to meeting people who had come from different corners of the world. Um, I live in a diverse city, but, you know, meeting activists uh, and grassroots leaders from everywhere around the world and hearing their stories and hearing, you know, their approaches to finding solutions to the challenges that they were facing. Uh, really, it was, I had this aha moment come together at 14 um, because it hit me that, you know, I could use my passions for storytelling to uh, make a positive change. And this is where I had a crazy idea. I was gonna take a year out of school I, I couldn't be stopped really. I was I was so enthusiastic. I approached my mom with this idea that I would take a year out of school and I would, you know, make a documentary film or write a blog and take photos and and you know, from a mother's perspective, she can tell you more, of course, how she handled that. Um, but you know, obviously we're here today because she said yes, um, because she took a chance on me. So mom, what was your I'm curious. Well, yeah, she's, she was very persistent as a little girl. And, um, you know, she had a many hobbies. She like 
kids, they pick them up and they drop them as soon as they, they get enrolled and, you know, they don't continue. So when she said, I, I really want to be a, you know, photographer, I, w- I want a camera mom. I'm like, good luck. You know, you have these sugars. She had a little business, actually, a micro business called uh, Sweet Scrub. And she made these get- scrub body scrubs for presents and I said well you have a product go and make them and you know she would donate the proceeds of the product generally to charities I said well you know split the proceeds and save up for your own camera because I knew if she had to buy it herself she'd be committed so that's what happened she did she got her first camera she started taking pictures we went to the UN she came back with this wild idea Simultaneously, there was this contest for young, for change makers to pitch their ideas for G, it was a travel company, G Adventures. And so she did, and she actually made it quite high up in the ranking of the voting, I think 12th place, but she didn't come in for the 25,000 being presented by Dr. Goodall, but she was like, people really like this idea. Can we go for it? And that's when she pitched that she wanted to take a year off school. And we would, you know, uh, talk about it. And uh, that was all it was. But for three months persistently, you know, we talk about it. And then I one day turned her uh, just before dropping her off at school. I said, are you serious about this? She goes, yes. I said, okay, well, then if you are, we'll find a way. As chance would happen, the whole world of crowdsource funding burst onto the scene with Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And there was a webinar, not a webinar, actually, it was in-person seminar. I registered us to go for the weekend to learn all about how to do crowdsource funding. And we did. And we came out of that. And I said, okay, now we have a tool. Because I was single mom, there were no resources really to to do this, to pick up and go. And uh, we did, I think, two crowdsource fundings for the first film and then at some point we said we just got to go and we left not knowing how we were going to get home because we only had enough to be on the road but not to get back so we did a third crowdsource funding campaign while we were on our journey for six months abroad so that's so beautiful I just want to be with you when you're doing all of this traveling and coming up with creativity and ideas well, what made you then choose to make this film now? Um, so I can I can share that. 1.5 degrees of peace um is very personal to me as a as a film. Um, as somebody who's grown up in in you know the peace and disarmament movement uh, with my elders, um, but also as a young person who's so passionate about climate change and you know watching these two kind of existential threats converge, um, I noticed that there was a, a really big gap in, in mainstream conversation about how peace and security issues influence climate change and how, you know, um, militarization uh, impacts our environment and people um, and just the relationship that we have with our planet. Um, I really wanted to make a film that would uplift the stories of young people who are living at the nexus of these issues. Because um, for those in the global north, it's kind of intangible, you know, these these very real personal impacts. But in order to take action, we need to have an emotional connection. We need to make it personal. We can't 
you know, sit and doom scroll and wait for, for the crisis to come full force, we have to take action and in solidarity with those who are already impacted and who are already losing their, you know, their homes, their livelihoods, their languages, their communities. Um, and it's urgent, but I really want the film to feel like an invitation more so than the current kind of climate narratives that are very doom doomism oriented and very, they can feel very overwhelming when you're consuming them. Um, I watched the trailer. I have to agree with you. It was like an invitation to do something. It didn't scare me, but it did tell me from your point of view what was happening. And it was very um, personal and very inviting to help you make your message stronger. So I really thank you. And today we're going to have your three-minute video at the end of our podcast so people can see what I'm talking about. And for you, Marla, what made you um, feel passionate about this film now? Um, well, I have to uh, back up a little bit because I don't think I would have gone into a second film with Kasha, not or anyone for that matter, um, had it not had uh, its roots in a very successful first run with the first films, The Sunrise Storyteller, which we had no idea it was going to take off. Not that it didn't make any money, but it had a lot of exposure, which was great. And it solidified the base. I think it was screened in 61 film festivals and won 31 awards. So that gave us, I think, a, you know, a base that the track record was there we could build on that and that this was and is a very important film to bring you know and and looking at Kasha as a young adult and seeing her her generation because she brings a lot of youth into our lives through her peers as she says who are you know activists and living in the global south and so you know we've met so many youth activists over the years that and on you know understanding what they're facing was a prime motivation for me. We cannot not take action in any conscious way that in, um, it would be unconscionable to not take action, right? And- Oh yes, absolutely. And from your daughter's eyes to your loving heart, you know, you, you see her friends and they become your family and you think, no, this can't happen. They have to have a world like I was born into where I could grow up safe in my mother's arms and fold laundry and for want of a better thing to do at some time. And then you bringing Kasha with you um, along your journey, it really did inspire her. So it's a real win-win. And I don't like those words, but they're so appropriate for your combination of joy and love. Is it mm -hmm. true? Oh, it just makes me happy. And you know, you must have faced some challenges. You said your first film was... Um, Wow, let's see, what did you call your film? The Sunrise Story? And that's Sunrise, sunrise Storyteller. The story, yes, the Sunrise Story. The Sunrise Storyteller, you're right, I had it written wrong. And mm -hmm. you um, were so successful. 30 awards for a first film. Many people don't even get out the door, let alone get an award with their first film. So that's a, I could understand why that springboarded you into 50. 1.5 degrees of peace. Four pieces of four piece? 
1.5 degrees of peace. peace. All right. Well, then now here we are. You must have some challenges and you must have some struggles. And how can we help you? I'm going to make it a three-part question. And so give us a little update what's going on. Mm -hmm. So we have begun production. Uh, we are in the early stages of our production on the film. Um, we have found a few really incredible young people to center the narrative around. Um, and we have been traveling for, you know, some of these shoots and we have travel upcoming um, before we go into the edit. So from concept to realization, of course, in the middle, we had a pandemic that kind of slowed our progress in terms of bringing this film to screens as early as we would like. Um, but we spent so much time with this film and it's also almost benefited us to have that extra time so that we can build community, build trust with our filmed participants, um, really show up in the places that we are trying to support um, and the, show up for the people we are trying to support through this film. Um, the greatest challenge, of course, is, you know, a very small team has been uh, fundraising. We spend about 75% of our time writing grant applications, uh, writing foundation applications, doing online campaigns, um, you know, sending out newsletters, seeking out support. The biggest, you know, the biggest part of getting a film films. made. You should be funded and making films. That's what yeah. I want you to do. That's yeah, that's the biggest challenge, you know, to, to get a film made, you need to have have the funds in place. So um, in order to bring this, like these stories to screen, um, yeah, that's that's where we need the most help is with funding. Um, and uh, finding somebody who is inspired to help you. You know, you're, you're speaking to a community in Santa Barbara where I will be showing their video um, and we will have a conversation. And this community has 2,500 nonprofits, and I'm sure we'll find somebody who will want to support you. It's often, as I have found in my fundraising for clients, I have found that it's the individual donor. If you get enough individual donors of 20 cents to $25, and the children, you know, at UNICEF at Halloween, they go around with their little box. When when you find those individual donors, it really adds up. So let's hope those individual donors and all of the big funding sources pay attention today. And you, Marla, what about you? What challenges are you facing as a mom and as a driver and as a filmmaker? Um, apart from the floater in my eye right now, <laughs> um, it's it's the same. It's it's fundraising now. A couple of years ago, I sold my house so that we could continue because you know we were in the thick of it and um the funding was very limited in terms of us being able to get out on a shoot and so you know we bought time with that mm -hmm. but that's sustainable so we need sustainable funding we need year-to-year -year funding so that she can dream up the next project and make even more impact and so, like you said, it goes from the two cents to the two million, whatever it is. There's someone who, you know, would like to be a legacy donor. We have options for them. We have, you know, we have individual campaigns that uh, appeal to uh, building community. And of course, you know, the, the two cents, it adds up, but it's also the people in our community that we're building. 
And that's why she did the trailer. We kind of reverse engineered everything. We never did anything according to industry norm. We went out and got the film first. This time we did the trailer first because we're using the trailer to build the community around the film so that when it is there, the time that was you know pulled back from the pandemic and that, we could just sort of, the slingshot will, will go. We'll be ready and we'll have our community and the film will be there. So yeah, funding is the last piece of the puzzle. Oh, it sounds like it's going to happen from your vision to the reality. I've always said, if you really want something, vision it. And I can tell you stories in my life where I visioned something and four years later it happened. Um, it may take time, as you said, but the vision is the driver. Uh, whenever I, I just spoke to the Golden Rotary Club in, in um, Denver, Colorado, right next door. And I said, what is your vision for peace? Imagine this world without wars or climate having a challenge. And what would your life be like? And how would you be supporting others in the same challenges that they're having? And so it's really important that we look at you as a team and we look at you as a solution for some of the issues we're facing today. And at this point, I'd like you to give me your website. Would you, Who would like to do that? I'd like to put it up underneath you. Both of you should give me your website and we'll put it right under your picture. Okay. Um, our website is www.one p-o-i-n-t five degrees spelt of peace.com so we have the let the number one and point and the number five just That's so that and that we'll put that up tony tony's my it man wonderful man and he'll put that up on the screen Great. um how about mom what would you like to do marla what do you like to say about your website or an email that they can get in touch with you right now Yes, you can contact us through the website, um, but also at the Global Sunrise Project at gmail.com. The Global Sunrise Project at gmail.com. And okay. I want to thank everybody that has been involved in the project so far who have supported us too, because, you know, one thing is we never forget anyone, not a single person. And it took it took us four months to do the credits for the last film because- <laughs> The credits four months. <laughs> Literally, I would get up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, I forgot that person. I go to the computer and I write their name down so that, you know, you're all very important to us. And like PBS, when there's a, in the day this program is brought to you and then they show a list of donors. So I can imagine what you went through. You're PBS to me. And you're a little bit like Jane Goodall and her mom. Jane Goodall, and I have her on my Peace podcast under my blog. Listen to what she tells you about her mom. Her mom believed in her. They didn't have enough money either, but her mom was there for her and she stayed with those chimps. There's something about this mother-daughter um, duo that allows the energy of both of you to go into the world. And it's beautiful. Um, you know, it's like, okay, now we come to the part of our peacepodcast.org. And thank you all for listening and being with us today because I'm going to ask each of our guests one last question dream they have for our planet. Kasha, why don't you start first? What's your dream for our world? Well, to me, um, peace is not just the absence of war. Creating peace to me looks like having respect for our planet and protecting it, keeping our earth free from overextraction, and ensuring our waters are clean and drinkable, that our forests can thrive and our air is breathable, and that 
ultimately that we put humanity's needs and our planet's needs over what's profitable for just a few people. Um, well, that's, said. that's my vision. Yeah. Well said, Marla. I concur. Um, but I also would love to see more love in the planet, you know, put back into the planet, compassion, understanding. I think we need to come in our, in our policies, they need to be love centered, humanity centered, planet centered, and uh, they need to be holistic and um, work for everything and everyone. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because Robert Mueller, my late husband said, if we fall back in love with our planet, we can't possibly destroy something you love. And when you love something, then you work to create a planet that supports all of us. And it's not about greed. It's about love, isn't it? And being awestruck, you know, once we can get to that place, then, you know, we can all become awestruck because I can't, you can't, you know, to say, oh, I am awestruck now, but, you know, I'm sitting in a global north as a, you know, white cis woman who has a certain amount of privilege. So we need to also understand that it's not the same for everybody and, and that, um, and that we have to work so that it is, it's you know. True. When you have so much and you have the gift of freedom and the gift of peace, then it's our job to help others who don't. And I really said that beautifully. And I'm Barbara Gonmuller, and I thank you all for joining us. You may want to show this to a group of friends and have a conversation and make a donation and watch the trailer that's coming up next. And I really want you to know that I appreciate everyone who is watching these podcasts because the mentors are there for you. And this is going to be, I think you're going to be 117 today, our 117th podcast with peacemakers. Some are no longer with us, and so we honor their memory. A very dear friend of mine passed yesterday, who was the president of the Palm Springs United Nations Association. And so honor those whose shoulders you stand, and be sure that you watch the trailer with your friends and invite them to contribute to the future. And with that, thank you for joining us. Peace and climate justice are more connected than we realize. I'm Kasia Sequoia Slavner. I'm a Gen Z documentary filmmaker and a peace and climate activist from Toronto, Canada. I've been feeling so much anxiety about climate change. Uncertain frustrated. People are making decisions for our generation without taking our future realities into consideration. A code red for humanity released today by the United Nations paints a grim picture for our future unless we take action now. I'm on a mission to show just how closely connected peace and climate justice are. Wars, a lot of militarization are taking away budgets but are also putting a lot of carbon emissions in the air. Through stories of youth making positive change. Those who are already exposed to violence and war are those who are also most vulnerable to the extreme weather events. Movements of all kinds 
are pretty much single issue. They're siloed. Climate change and nuclear weapons, we have to deal with them together. And stop both clocks ticking towards our extinction. How can we turn our anxiety about these existential threats into bold action that holds leaders accountable? How can we find hope? The climate crisis isn't just about carbon dioxide emissions, it's about people. What if people were as well-trained in waging peace as soldiers are in waging war? We need a peace movement to accommodate everyone because everyone's life is at stake. A community led by the most marginalized sectors of society, fueled by this love for peace. In love for the planet. Take small steps, baby steps. The ripple effect will be very dramatic. Each one of us is powerful beyond measure. It's my hope that these stories of courageous action ease our personal and collective anxiety igniting us to stand together and catalyzing a unified intergenerational peace movement for the survival of our planet and all living beings. Unless we do something, we're in deep